Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. All the spot analysis. Am I crazy? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. Are we on a podcast? Yeah. I, I think I'm going to come get some. If you want some, come. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Gotta get some. My favorite, though. Am I? You're my favorite. Oh, thank you yeah. so much. I, I think not. You put me on the e-meter. And ask me a question, and then it would float. All right, welcome to another Come Get Some Extra Scientology Edition. This is part two of Lois Riesdorf. Um, where we left off with Lois last week, she was saying she was too nice to have ever been the person that potentially would take over Scientology the way David Miscavige did. And when we pick up on part two, we'll pick up right from that. Um, and it's a very important interview, a very uh, deep and emotional message from Lois to her son, Craig. Um, a lot of great information, inside information from somebody who was there in Lois Riesdorf. Very sweet lady. Before we do this, I want to address the Osa in the room. Yes, hi, Osa. I know you're listening. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for giving me my stats. Um, apparently Osa has been really busy. And for those of you at home listening or wherever you are listening who don't know who Osa is, they used to be called the Guardian's Office of Scientology. And you can't really call it that anymore because if you look up Guardian's Office, you'll find all these official government documents showing that on L. Ron Hubbard's order, uh, Mary Sue Hubbard organized a bunch of people uh, getting together. And uh, and causing problems with the FBI and IRS stealing documents, uh, the federal federal law breaking, plus trying to drive uh, an innocent lady, uh, Paulette Cooper, crazy for speaking out against them, and actually up to and including framing her for bomb threats. They wrote themselves to themselves using her papers in her in her hotel room or or apartment with her fingerprints on it. They tried to frame this lady. This is all proven information. It's not hearsay from, say, a, uh, from a forum or from the Inquirer. This is real news. And um, so now they're called the Office of Special Affairs, OSA, and they're kind of like enforcers and police of uh, Scientology. And what they do nowadays is they basically, behind the shadows and behind the scenes, they track down people speaking out against Scientology, primarily ex-Scientologists or, or anyone really a threat, and uh, they, they try to screw with them and reach uh, a lot, you know, a mass amount of fuckery and maximum doucheness, uh, because that's religion 101, right? So today's guest, Melissa Paris, is um, very much uh, a name you all should know, and I know a lot of you don't know the name yet, 
So uh, I'm going to go ahead without further ado. I'm going to let her tell you who she is and what this is all about. And uh, in the next two weeks, uh, you're going to hear her full story, which is a story that abs- absolutely needs to be told, and you're all going to want to hear and listen to. And uh, we'll get a little preview of that, plus we'll talk about uh, the uh, the actions of Osa in the last 24, 48 hours and how interesting things have gotten now that they know that she wants to talk and, and speak out publicly. Here it is. Hey, Melissa Paris, who is my uh, guest next week. For the next two weeks, we'll be talking about her experiences at the uh, St. Hill Cadet Org, which is uh, basically from five years old up, the different abuses she took throughout her life, and that children face in Scientology that doesn't get discussed enough. Interestingly enough, in the timing, uh, Melissa's going to talk about this in just a second, um, Melissa's been just, and her sister and some other folks, uh, involved in another project, not the Lair Remini uh, Aftermath show, but a different project. They've been a little more vocal lately in a private forum that's just only invitation only. It's supposed to be a safe place uh, for um, for exes and other people who are involved. Uh, I witness this with my own eyes, and I talk about this all the time, about how it's different when you see someone on TV and you can think, hey, they're doing it for the benefit of the cameras. But this was not done for the benefit of, benefit of my eyes, and I'm seeing this stuff happen right in front of me. So, assumably, OSA operatives have taken a conversation amongst Melissa and these people in this project, taken it out of context, made a new site that matches and mirrors that forum exactly, trying to use those words and twist them around to attack Lear Remini and attack Lear Remini's character and cause strife and, and, and problems between the two factions, which are all really operating under the same faction, if you think about it, for the same cause, I believe. And Melissa can talk more about that. But... Um, yeah, so I'm seeing this live, and I think Melissa said something about her personal account being hacked as well. So it's very interesting. I contacted Melissa before all this went down. We recorded an interview for next week, I think two days before this all happened. And all of a sudden, the last 24 hours, all this stuff's happening. And I believe there are some reasons why um, why Melissa and her family and her uh, people who she worked with on this project are being targeted as well. And I'm going to do uh, as Melissa asked. Melissa, thank you for being here today. A little impromptu. I'm going to go ahead. You asked to have free reign to have your say about this and clarify everything I just said and add to it. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Go ahead, uh, Melissa. Okay, so you put on Twitter the other day that I was going to be on your show. And following that, the forum that we were talking about, that's private, we're not going to say what it is, but that was mirrored, like you said, into another one that was the exact same name, you know, everything. And they tried to pull, they actually pulled all the members from that form over to the new one. And it was a smear campaign against um, one of the exes on there. I don't really know if she wants me to say her name, so I'm not going to. But it was also taking a post that I had put on there that had nothing to do with Leah's show or anything like that. It was the project that I was involved with. And... You know, there was a long write-up afterwards that was talking about how we were attacking Leah, etc. And I actually took screenshots of it because the form's gone now. It got taken off. But at the end of the day, I appreciate what Leah's doing with her show, and I think she's doing a great job. The stuff that we did is completely different, has nothing to do with Leah's show. I'm not attacking her. I have no issues with her whatsoever. I think that at the end of the day, 
any of us that are speaking out, trying to get the truth out there, we're a united front. And I think the reason why OSA or the church decided to go after me right now is because of the fact probably that you posted that I was going to be on there on Twitter. My family name is pretty well known just because of who my mother is and the fact that she spoke out in the 1990s and was the first person to ever put OTA on the internet. So they know who we are and it's probably a little bit scary. Actually, you know, DM is probably petrified that my sister and I are finally speaking out just because we are second generation Scientologists and we grew up in the Cadet Org and also in the Sea Org. And our story is pretty horrific. So, but what also happened yesterday after all this happened was the fact that my stepbrother, who is still a Scientologist in Scotland, reached out to my sister via Facebook and was trying to get information about Leah, specifically trying to get information. So for me, I think it's just the timing is too coincidental that you posted. Yeah, like you posted on Twitter. Then this other website that specifically targeted me was then, you know, was yesterday. And then also my stepbrother reached out to my sister and he admitted that he had been coached by, you know, HCO, OSA, and RTC on dealing with my sister and I. So, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what's gone down in the last 24 hours. And then the Instagram was hacked. Your Instagram was hacked. Like, like, see, see, now I was thinking about this. I was talking to you about this last night and I was talking about how... Well, this can't be just about, and it's not. It can't be just about uh, Melissa Paris and, and you know Valeska Paris and other people involved in that project. And what's interesting about this is that um, when I, after I say it can't just be about you guys, I still feel have that feeling. And, and a lot of people I've spoken to have agreed. It seems like more than a coincidence that you guys are being implemented very highly and very strongly in this and being used against Leah in some way. Uh, without your willingness, and you get hacked personally last night. So I think there is, uh, and then your brother-in-law, of course, contacting your sister. There's definitely, uh, there definitely seems to be something more to this, and it's not something that's typical of any church I've ever heard of. This is crazy. Okay, well, it wasn't my brother-in-law. It was my stepbrother. Stepbrother. I meant to say stepbrother. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, I don't think that it's us personally but I do think it's us personally because my mom is still such a big threat to them because she did OTA. I mean, she's an OTA class 12 auditor and there's nobody higher than her that's ever gone up. You know, she's as high as you can go on both sides of the bridge. And for her to have spoken out the way that she did and actually, you know, filed a lawsuit and everything else when my stepfather at the time committed suicide... So, you know, like like we talked about, we've been through a lot with the church. We don't have a family anymore. Our family is completely destroyed because of Scientology. So for me, who, you know, really didn't speak out for 16 years, and my sister, who, you know, was actually worked for David Miscavige for a long time and was sent to the ship, by OSA for 12 years 
I think they are probably really scared that we're starting to speak out now. So, you know, and I'm, I am a very vocal person. I'm in your face. I don't give a shit. What you see is what you get. I think that what people need to realize is that you're dealing with a whole bunch of exes that have come out of the Sea Organ Scientology. And they're having to go through their stuff and work through, you know, going into the real world and maybe realizing that all this time and money and effort that they spent thinking that they were doing something good or that they were helping themselves or helping their families to kind of come to that realization that it's a cult has to be really hard on them. And then you add on top of that that you're dealing with people that directly impacted you when you're in the Sea Org in a negative way. Right. Like I have people that are now out of the Sea Org that I'm not a fan of because of the fact that they you know, impacted my life, my family, helped destroy my family. And they're out now, which is great, but, you know, there's that accountability that, as a person, you kind of want them to sit there and go, yeah, I did this and I apologize, etc. So, I don't know if that makes sense. I it think does. That, you know, I think that Osa was hoping that because, um, because I am... As you said, I'm a hard ass. And, I, mean, I did I, say that sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I am. I have no problem with that. I don't give a shit. You know, what you see is what you get. So I just think that the fact that they specifically targeted my post yesterday correlates to you putting on Twitter that I was going to be on your show. That's interesting. So, let, let me, let me yeah. say, um, we talk about this. It, it will be discussed in the upcoming interview um, about drawing that line between I did it because the church made me do it, and I thought I had to because the church made me do it, and I knew what I was doing. I was wrong. I'm starting to think, uh, add on to what you say in the upcoming interview, because I don't think it messes anything up to say this, but uh, I think maybe I guess that's a personal choice, who you forgive and who you don't, and who you think went too far and who you don't. Yeah, and I agree with that. At the end of the day, there's people that were given a direct order by David Miscavige and they didn't do it because hitting somebody in the face with a stick is morally wrong. And then there are other people that sat there and did what they did and when they left, well, I was forced to do it, I was made to do it, etc. That's fine. I get it. I've been in that situation. I know what it feels to be brainwashed. You know, I was born into it. I had no choice. It's what I knew from the time I was born. My parents were Scientologists, that was it. So, you know, it's I don't know if it's about forgiveness. I just think it's about not having for people that were negatively impacted by these people, if you are seeing them and they're not being I, I guess they're not holding themselves accountable for it, that's an issue for me. And I'm not gonna sit there and be like, oh well, you know, I'm not going to speak my mind just because I don't want the church to sit there and use what I'm saying. I don't give a fuck. At the end of the day, if you did something to a bunch of people and you're not holding yourself accountable, I don't care if the church sits there and uses what I'm saying. It's just common sense. Right. That doesn't mean that, that, doesn't mean that I'm going to sit there and attack somebody, you know, on social media or in the public eye or anything like that. I'm not going to do it. But I do have a right to my opinion. 
Sure. So, yeah, I think uh, I, I've told you um, personally. I've told you that um, you and your sister and, other, and others like you that have been through this, um, especially uh, what I've learned and what I've come to know of you guys, uh, because I think most people who are hearing this probably, uh, if they weren't ex-Scientologists, a lot of people aren't going to know your name yet, and they will now. Um, but they should know your name because of your mother. Um, the thing about it is that if you take it big picture-wise, not just coming from a cult or coming from the things that happen in Scientology, in life there are so many people who have tragedy in their lives, who have trauma growing up, and they use that trauma they use those negative things from their life as an excuse uh, and to be not a great person. And uh, I think it's extremely admirable that, that your sister and yourself and, and others like you have come out of this not using that excuse, bettering yourselves. You, I mean, you're going for that for your all your degrees in criminal psychology and all that stuff. That's freaking awesome. So uh, I really uh, have a lot of respect for you for that and, and really think uh, highly of you because of that. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I think we've spoken about this before, and I'm so adamant about this. I will not let Scientology define who I am. I'm going to sit there and take what I went through to better the person that I am because I can't regret everything that happened to me. That's not a good way to live. I have to take it and make sure that I do, you know, become the best parent that I can be or the best psychologist or you know, whatever I choose to do, but I will never let Scientology define me. What I do think needs to be done, and the reason that I'm speaking out much more than I ever have, is that I think there's so much emphasis placed on the execs that came out of the Sea Org and disconnection and that kind of stuff, and that's great. Like, Leah's show is a lot about that, and I think it's, it's you know, it needs to be told. But I also think that the story that really needs to be told is the children. Because for me, it's like I feel like there's this lost generation of kids that either grew up with Scientology parents or were in the cadet or, or were forced to be in the field work. And it's like we had so much sexual, physical, mental, emotional abuse happen to us. We didn't even have parents growing up. We don't even know what it feels like to be a kid. And... Nobody seems to be talking about that. And I think that, to me, is where my biggest frustration is. Like, those are the real crimes. I mean, we were, what, four or five years old when we were thrust into the cadet org? And it was, like, I still have nightmares to this day about Stonelands. My sister still has nightmares about Freewinds. Like, we were kids. And there's a whole lost generation of kids that for some reason don't have a voice. And I do. I think that's the most important story that needs to be told. Now you, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. You said, um, you said, because I didn't really, obviously I'm I'm almost using this as an opportunity to clean up some things I missed in the interview. Uh, It took you 10 years, you, you said, to speak out. Was there, is there a specific reason you can point to that really stood out to why you weren't speaking out for 10 years? Have you met my sister? <laughs> Do you know? Okay. I don't know her really well, but yeah, I know I know okay. I know who she is. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's like a a freight train. When she decides on something, 
you know. Um, no, I mean, when I got out, again, I got out when I was 20. It was, it was 99, 2000. I was pretty much one of the first people to leave, and I didn't have... I didn't have this whole ex, you know, kind of community that there is now. It was just me. So for me, I didn't have a choice. It was like, okay, you're going to go out there and you're going to make a life for yourself. And I left. That was it. So, you know, when my sister, the time that my sister got out was when there was a lot more people that were coming out. There was a lot more of this community, this ex-community. So my sister really pushed me to speak. And it actually became a bone of contention between us. Like, we've had drag-out fights about it because, you know, I kind of had to explain to her that when she came back into my life, she didn't give me a choice on whether I wanted to speak out or not. Mm. She kind of made that choice for me. And I do have... I'm very loyal and I'm very protective of my sister because she has not had the time outside of the church that I have so you know I'm not going to let her go doing what she's doing and not protect her I'm sure that sounds really stupid but it's just the way that I feel nobody's going to hurt her again the way she was hurt so okay so do you think do you, do you think uh, everything we discussed pretty much covered it, or is there a theory or anything that uh, people have spoken about that you think might have been the, besides just Osa's Osa, uh, why they would have done what they did with the uh, clone site? Um, I think that, honestly, I think they're scared shitless about me and my sister speaking. And if they can use you guys against the other thing they're scared shitless about, Leia Remini, then it's like a win-win yeah. for them. Which it really it failed, yeah. it seems like. Have you been in contact with anybody from Leia's show since this happened? I mean, it's still yeah. fairly fresh. No, but I mean, you know, I've spoken to a couple of people that were on her show. I've never had a, you know, face-to-face or phone conversation with Leah. It is what it is. I mean, you know, she's doing her thing. I have spoken to a couple of other people, and we, when all this kind of happened, we hashed everything out because I feel like there's even in it's very easy for OSA to infiltrate kind of the ex-community because there's so many of them now and like I said, there there is dissension between a lot of the people that are out just because like we just talked about stuff was done to people in the church when they were in the church or when they were in the field and you know when you leave it's kind of like all that catches up to you so you know you're interacting with people that did some real harm to you it seems like it's a little bit like a family reunion where not everybody in the family gets along but you keep the peace you don't have the the fight around the dinner table you just coexist and you're all looking for the same goal yeah and you know you have to think too a lot of these people spent their whole lives in Scientology, so they're going to stay with what they know, which I personally think is really unhealthy. You know, and I've pushed my sister, like, you have to get a life outside of this community. You have to you have to interact with people that have never been in it because you're not going to learn what it means to be out in the real world if you keep interacting with just ex-Scientologists. I don't think it's healthy. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's my take on it. All right. How I feel. All right. Anything else you wanted to add to this? Um, I think we've we've 
covered it pretty well, but if there's anything you want to add, I'd be happy to hear it. Uh, I mean, no. I would love for uh, somebody to start focusing on the kids. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you, um, uh, I uh, I said this yesterday on my show, but I know there's a lot of people listening today that didn't listen yesterday. So I'll just say right now, um, I am going to be, or if it already aired by the time you heard this, uh, I'll be on uh, Chris Shelton Sensibly Speaking, and he asked me what stood out most to me about Scientology that was wrong with it, that bothered me most. And almost instinctively, after a little bit of thinking, I, I did say disconnection. And mm-hmm. and I think that's almost a knee-jerk reaction because of everything we're exposed to as never ends, as people um, who, who have been watching from afar. All you see is about disconnection, disconnection, disconnection. You know that the other abuses are there, but it's easy to say disconnection because, like, you know, later in the show, people are going to hear Lois uh, Weisdorf talk about her son. She's disconnected from him, and it's yeah. a very emotional moment or two uh, within that. But disconnection is something that even you and, and everybody who's had any kind of experience getting out of Scientology is involved, has been involved in some form of disconnection they weren't real thrilled about that, that affected their lives drastically. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to say that. But I just want to amend and say that you know, I don't want people to think that I've forgotten or that I don't see that as the worst thing that happens in Scientology. Abuse of children, especially the sexual and physical abuse of children, is unacceptable. Uh, we talk a little bit about that next week and in the coming weeks, and it's really disturbing. Yeah. But I do want to kind of just add something because, like I said, I don't think people talk about it enough, but just from my experience being in the Sea Org, I joined the CIRG when I was 15 years old because somebody, my passport and green card was stolen. My mom was starting to speak out. The church got really worried about the fact that she was. My sister was already in the CIRG. My brother was in the cadet org. And I was kind of the wild card. So, you know, my passport and green card was stolen. I had nowhere to go. Now that was but, intentional to so keep you there? or That was in, absolutely 100% intentional. They needed me under control, and the best way to do that was to keep me in England in the Sea Org. But, you know, being in the Sea Org, I mean, I remember one girl, and I'm not going to say her name, but she was, at 10 years old, was working in HCO, was working all night to get her stats up. She was 10. They kicked her out of the Sea Org at 16 years old. She had nowhere to go. She ended up being a prostitute in a brothel Mm. in Switzerland. That's at 16 years old. I, there's, so many stories like that. She had nowhere to go because her dad was declared and her mom was in the field. So she couldn't go to her dad and she couldn't go with her mom. 16 years old. Became a prostitute. We had a guy that was molesting kids at the school that I went to and because it was a Scientology school, they kept it in-house and did nothing about it and he ended up going to jail because one of the kid's parents that wasn't a Scientologist went to the authorities. That's, that's public record in England. So there's so, so many things like that that nobody talks about. And, so, and that's why I'm speaking out. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and that's why I said, you know, um, I saw your story when I was first starting to cover this, and the one thing I really wanted to, to tell on this show was the stories uh, of the abuse and, you know, it's not something I take joy in. Like, oh, yeah, I get the cover. 
it's important and it's not told enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm I am um I'm proud that I'm able to do a show where I can bring this to light and uh, have this conversation. So I'm glad that you agreed. It was always a concern that you might not agree. Uh, for for those who don't know, when I first contacted uh, Melissa to enter the show or come on the show, I said, "Hello, you still there?" Yeah. I thought I lost the connection. <laughs> okay. When I first asked Melissa to come on the show, I said to her in a, a private message on some forum or another, and said, uh, "Hey, what do you think about what's going on with this?" And your response was, "I don't know you." Yeah. <laughs> I don't know you. Why are you asking me? The next thing I said was, look, I do a podcast. I've had this person and that person on. I'd like to tell your story. And you said, you don't want me. <laughs> I did. I said, you don't want me. I'm way too honest and I'm way too blunt. Yeah, yeah. so I was like, yeah, definitely, I want that. <laughs> I want that. So I'm glad that we did this, and I'm glad we did this extra piece here. I think this is a perfect complement to next week and the week after's pieces. It's going to go along with the rest of the interview. It's a little out of order, uh, but important. So thank you for doing this, Melissa, and I appreciate you uh, coming on and making time for one more little uh, bit of talk here. You are welcome. All right, thank you. All right, so that was uh, uh, Melissa talking on OSA and the things that went on uh, in that private forum over the last 48 hours, 24 hours. Uh, make sure you tune in next week. Uh, you still, you've heard a bunch about Melissa, but you still haven't heard her story. And um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of disturbing stuff just came out of that. And we'll um, get more next week. But right now, uh, for uh, a little bit of an emotional but a very important part two with Lois Riesdorf, to get a little bit more inside information. Again, to remind you, I had asked her if there was any chance she could have possibly been. Uh, the leader of Scientology, if things worked out a different way, she said no. She felt like she was way too nice, and um, and we're going to pick up right from there. It was our understanding was that it was going to be a committee that was going to run it anyway, and it wasn't going to be one person. And that is something that I've been trying to make the point of is that specifically when I had my interview with 2020, is that. The intention was never for one person to become the replacement for L. Ron Hubbard. And that was never his intention. Hmm. So the fact that he has become that was when I first started realizing that he, like, actually had fully taken over and that when I started going back into the orgs and I could see everybody standing up and going, hooray, hooray for him, that's when I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy, because that's never what L. Ron Hubbard wanted. You saw it from a different perspective than the he, majority. Right, and his whole thing, from what my understanding was, was that it, the, the Church of Scientology was going to be run by a committee where there was not one person that was going to be the it person, right. you know? Right. So I always envisioned that that was what I was going to be, was part of that committee. We oh, really? We would have been a managing committee of the Church of Scientology, yes. Oh, wow. But we would have been, a, we would have been like 12 or 13 people who would, because we had already started that as the Watchdog Committee. That's right. But you see... 
when you look at the history of Scientology, whenever, and if now looking back on it, whenever there was one person that would become kind of like famous in Scientology, um, they would they wouldn't last long. He never wanted someone else to become just as famous or just as adored as him. Gotcha. So, uh, this is before Tom Cruise and, and John Travolta uh, became the faces of Scientology. Uh, well, that's a different that's thing. That's a different thing because, yeah. be, because they don't have anything to do with the running of Scientology. Exactly. They're just like the PR okay. factor. Gotcha. I gotcha. So, 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 so after being out for 30 years and then coming back into the orgs, you know, when when Gary and I were trying to be good people now <laughs> to try and save our family, that was a thing when I would go to the events for the church, I would just, like, be horrified. <laughs> so you were skating by. Like, you went back to live with your family for 30 years, right? You lived with your mom and uh, and just sort of laid low, didn't bother with the, didn't bother with the whole thing of the, uh, you know, actually attending yep. events and doing things until they started calling you out on it. Yep, and South Africa was kind of like off the, the main course of Scientology, so we, you know, we were very much under the radar. How did your mom feel about that? Was she unhappy with you? Is she trying to urge you to to be more involved? There were a few times where she tried to get me more involved, but she knew that she knew that there was a reason why I wasn't gung ho anymore. But not enough for her to stop doing what she was doing. She was already invested. Yeah, and they had slowed down tremendously by the t- you know the last few years before she died. Okay. I mean, her little mission was very small. She was like auditing like one person, and she would run a little course on some nights and. You know, it was very laid back. How close would and, you and say you... Step- I'm so sorry. Go sorry. ahead. And then my, no, and then my stepfather, Neville, was actually a chemical engineer um, prior to getting into Scientology. He had just finished, like, 12 years of university. He was highly regarded. And, you know, it just got to the point with so many kids and they'd come back out of the Sea Org and they went back to South Africa to run their missions and stuff. And he had to go and earn a living. So his, oh. he worked full-time, at, you know, in one of the biggest paper pulp companies in, in the world, actually. He was research and development. Wow. So, you know, and we and we really had a great life with them. We were never, really, there was never any heavy pressure from them to get back into Scientology. She okay. would try every now and again, you know, but it was, she she had a light touch about it. It wasn't heavy. Gotcha. So I, I think it gets heavy when someone from the church is putting pressure on the parent and the parent starts putting the pressure on the child. Exactly. Uh, so she and didn't have that. By that time, you know, she had her first three grandchildren, and, I mean, they were the world to her. There was 
like that is just and now I'm a grandmother and I you know you just get to that point in your life and there's just no way that someone could tell you that you're no longer going to not only see your daughter but now you're not going to be able to see your sweet grandson yeah we're, we're about to get right into this connection here um your your mother um when I read your blog it seems like you were very close to her um, yeah. When I hear we the were, videos of your sisters, it's a different story. Can you, you want to, uh, go ahead and talk yeah. about that? I, I think that's the thing that upset me the most from my sister's testimonies or whatever they did, the videos. Whatever you call that, yeah. Is that, yeah, is that yes, I was very close to my mom. And she was only 21 when she had me. So by the time, you know, because I'd lost, 10 years of my childhood with her, by the time I came back, our relationship was very much like close friends. Mm -hmm. We talked to each other on the phone every day. Yeah, I mean, uh, something that you bring up is um, with this connection was it didn't always have to be someone who had ever had anything to do with the church. Um case in point, your your uh, son Brett and his, his fiancé or wife at the time, um, you were being told that you had to disconnect from them, or they had to, he had to disconnect from his fiancé because of her parents. Am I getting this right? Well, main, yeah, so they were already married when all this started happening, and her parents were also ex-Scientologists. They were also under the radar. They weren't in any trouble. They had Scientology friends, and then they had ex-Scientology friends, and they kept them very separate. Like they just went through the the years just in that kind of vein, you know. And Jessie and her brother were never brought up in Scientology and, in fact, knew even less about Scientology than my kids did. So, yeah. Um, so when it was when her parents were declared SP, and that was because you know the orgs and stuff would always try to recover them, and then they would tell them to f off. <laughs> um, they just were getting into trouble that way. Plus, her father was very good friends with David Miscavige's brother, oh. Ronnie Miscavige, huh. and. So I think when when that became known, that was like, okay, these people are suppressive people, and they got declared, which I think was at the end of 2014, and then we were told, Brett and Jesse, you know, and, 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 and that was the thing that I just couldn't ever understand, was like, how can you tell someone who is a non-Scientologist, has never been a Scientologist, ever, and neither of them ever had, now that they have to disconnect from her parents and all of their friends who had previously been ex-Scientologists, it was just it was just insane. Like, we couldn't grasp our heads around this. And I kept bringing it up to the ethics officers, saying, you know, how can you do this? Like, this is really bad PR for Scientology to to now tell people who had never had anything to do with Scientology that they have to unfriend certain people on Facebook 
that they really weren't allowed to do anything with her parents. And that was when I started going, God, this is insane, because I could just be met. And, and they live like eight miles away from us, so her parents do. So I was just imagining having a grandchild and then, you know, the the birth of the baby and having to go to the hospital to see the baby, but then I had to make sure that her parents weren't there Um or the child's first birthday party, but then we wouldn't be able to go because the parents were there or they were hosting it, so now we couldn't go. You know, I I just started realizing that this is just so insane that I can't do this. Well, the way you're describing, the situation you're describing as it was, I'm no legal, legal expert, but what they're, what they're asking for from Brett in in uh in, in his uh in his wife is much different uh than anything falling under church law. At this point it just becomes blackmail. Yeah. And and that's how we felt. Gary and I felt as though we were being blackmailed. And I even I even had like a almost it was just Craig and me having like conversation which turned into him yelling at me Hmm. um, about this exact thing that I'm talking about, where I was trying to tell him that this is not right, that I've never heard of this happening in Scientology when I was in, where people that were not even Scientologists, but because they're connected to ex-Scientologists who have been declared we can't have anything to do with them, you know? And this was the exact thing that I brought up to him. So it, it, let me get some context here. Were you guys just having a casual conversation? You were upset? You were just talking to him and you didn't expect him to have that reaction? Is that how that went down? Well, it wasn't just a casual conversation. He actually came over here to our house to talk to me about this. And I can't, oh, I remember what the situation was, was that Gary's one sister who's declared daughter was getting married. And what happened was, so her daughter is also not a Scientologist, never been a Scientologist, knew very little about Scientology, was getting married here in San Diego. And... This is our wonderful little niece, you know. I mean, we have had known her since we'd moved here back from South Africa in 98. And um, so we made a pact that we were going to go to the wedding, but we weren't going to tell Craig. And we made sure that we weren't on in any photos that were, you know, going to be put on the Internet about the wedding. However, how I mean, crazy did you have to go through all that? Also went to the wedding, and yeah. he was on staff at the San Diego org at the time, and he ended up being in a photo with his two cousins in like a funny photo box that they have at weddings where you put on funny hats and stuff, and one of the nephews 
posted that on Facebook, and Craig saw it. So Craig then found out that we had gone to the wedding. How crazy that you had and to jump through hoops to do that. That's crazy. I know. So this is like a huge flap, and in fact, it was during this time that we were having a committee of evidence up in L.A., Gary and I, were like in the middle of the, this committee of evidence. You're on Scientology so trial. Right. And Craig wrote up a big knowledge report on the three of us that we had done this. So, of course, at that point, I thought for sure we were going to be declared right then. But fortunately, we managed to get out of it. Um and they didn't declare us right then. But <laughs> it was crazy. So Craig came over here and confronted me about this and said, what are you doing? You know, you're screwing everything up and, you know, just went on and on. And that's when I brought up this whole thing. I said, you know, the thing is, is now if, if Dad and I are going to be back on lines in Scientology, it means that, I can't, we can't see any of these nieces and nephews because they're connected to, you know, the Gary's sister and her husband because those are their parents. So now we can't communicate with them. We can't communicate with Jesse, my daughter-in-law's parents. It, it just got to the point where our whole family was just being reduced to nothing. I want to try to understand what they wanted you to do here, because it gets a little muddled for me in my head. I'm trying to, that's just because I'm not familiar, uh, you know, I'm just now getting familiar over the last few months with how it all works. Were you going to, were you going to work out of Scientology and be clear of Scientology, but you still had your SP mandates, but first you had to make amends for other things? Is that, were you on this long journey back to a full circle or... So basically, in 1982, when I when we left the Sea Org, we were de- I was declared a suppressive person by David Miscavige, and we were the first one. So this was me and Gary's two sisters, because we were senior executives in the church. So we were the first three big declares that happened before all the others that happened soon after. Okay. Okay? So when I went back to South Africa in the early 80s, in 83, I got through all the steps necessary to be back in good standing with the church. I did everything. Okay. My my A to E steps. So I was actually cleared. I was considered the Scientologist in good standing up until January of 2015 when I was re-declared again. Mm. But because I hadn't been active in Scientology for all those years, for 30 years, when we went back in, we had to be you know, had to go through all these hoops now because we hadn't been active. Okay, and now you have this blackmail of you can't just walk away or you're automatically SP, you lose all this. But if right. you if you go through the steps and you become cleared by uh, 
Scientology allowed to be in good standing, then you lose all these other family members. Exactly. And I remember one day sitting with the ethics officer up at AOLA in L.A., and she wanted to know the names of all the family members. So Gary comes from a big family of seven children, so you can imagine how many nieces and nephews there are on that side of the family, which is just huge compared to mine. So not all of those children were ever Scientologists, so it was mainly the last four kids that were Scientologists. But the ethics officer wanted to know the names of all those children, you know, all the kids and their children and whatever, because because two of the siblings were declared, if any of those other siblings were going to be in contact with those declared siblings, then we weren't able to communicate to them either, even if they're not Scientologists. Hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah they, they really it's, stick it to you. Hectic. It's it's incredible. That's these are this is the thing when Gary and I started going, Oh my god, something is really, really wrong with Scientology and it has gone insane. You posted in your blog, um, I think this letter wasn't too long before this all went down, if I'm not mistaken, you correct me if I'm wrong, but a letter from Craig to you and, and uh, Gary for what wonderful parents you've been to him. Yes. So that was like real recent, I mean, as a, real recent to oh, before yeah. he had that shouting match with you? Oh, yeah. This was right. This is like, um, those letters were written like a year before. Okay, so he was so grateful because you were such perfect, such wonderful, given, loving parent. You did everything right yep. by him, and you could never do wrong in his eyes, it looked like, uh, by that letter. Yeah. To to come up on your own, out of the clear blue, because I don't know if I've ever done anything like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> to write a letter like that, that is like maybe one of the nicest, most thoughtful things you could ever do, is write your parents a letter like that out of the blue. Oh, I know. And I mean, when we reread them, like when I was writing that blog, both of us were in here. Right, because that's, that's, that was the son you know. Um, right. Did he ever express a different view on this connection before this all went down? Did he ever talk about how it's silly this person can't talk to that person, or was it never really a thing brought up? Or No, it wasn't ever a thing that was brought up until it was brought up to him. Like, so, so basically he, yeah, I, I guess it was, there was, because he went to South Africa and had to disconnect from Gary's sisters. So in South Africa, they were saying he had to disconnect from them. And when we got him back here after six months, that's when he became a Scientologist, and we got him back here, I said to him, Craig, this is, like, not right. And he, you know, he kind of followed what I was saying to a certain extent. He wasn't, you know, we would actually have them over here for a barbecue or whatever, and he he was, he was would still show up, you know. He, he didn't really talk to them, but he would maybe give them a hug and say hi, and then, 
not really talk to them. But then it just became even more crazy because he was going to be put on a, a job in the local San Diego org that was in HCO, which is the Hubbard Communications Office, and, and that was that's quite a big job. Yeah. And at the time, I thought, I can't believe that they're putting, like, a brand-new Scientologist on that post. It was just crazy to me. But what they did is they sent him to L.A. for a few weeks, and he that was the first time that he got sex-checked, which is the, you know, interrogation. So he had never experienced that before. And he got off all his little things that he's done in his life that were bad, which seriously, he was a really good kid. So I can't even imagine what silly things he did. Well, you end up making stuff up. Yeah. Yeah, but... He was determined to be not not qualified for that job afterwards, and I think it's because he had smoked marijuana or something. Okay. And um, so he didn't get that job, but that was when things really changed with him. Like he was now, had been such a terrible person before is what he even told me, you know. But he wasn't. But that's what <laughs> I mean, they do, right? They, he was they convince good, you. He was such a good teenager. Like, I, we never had problems with him. What's well, funny, because, I mean, even like, Jenna Elfman's been recorded on camera yelling at a reporter, whether you're crying to have you raped a baby, you know. Um, that's that's a weird thing to yell out at somebody, but that's kind of the nature of, of what you're going yeah. through. So you, you obviously did something if not in this life, in the past life, to so talk about it and find it. Oh, and yeah. this is why you can't do... So I feel like, and tell me if this is how you see it, I feel like he was offered a great position far beyond what he should be able to get, which he felt like it was a dream come true, too good to be true. You take the carrot away and say it's because this, this, and this. Oh, and your suppressive family members are holding you back too. Then he yeah. starts realizing, you know, I have to make some changes in my life for big opportunities are going to pass you by. i got to be able to provide for my new Scientology girlfriend and, you know, fiancé. Yes, exactly. All right, so so that's how it feels Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Now, you've yeah, seen... And uh, that's exactly how I would characterize it. You just hit it spot on, really. I'm sure you've seen movies with the Nazi boot camp or, like, the old V Lizard miniseries where the kid's taken to the visitor youth program and he's given a high position right away. And all of a sudden, his family yeah. is the enemy because they're against him doing something that makes him happy and yeah. successful, which is which is how Craig sounded in that video, which is the opposite of that letter you shared. Right. And and the thing is, is that even at the time, like, I actually thought when all this was going down, I thought, I wonder if they did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, they really wanted to get at me. And they offered him that high position in the org but then needed to do these sex checks because they wanted to find out what was going on. Yeah, I don't know, because I, I almost, when I was reading about your blogs, I was almost feeling like they are stringing you along just to get the most money out of you that they could, and once they couldn't get money out yeah, of you money, anymore. Yeah, and if we would, you know, and the funny thing was, was that, sure, we were in common with some people that were declared, but they couldn't really... <laughs> 
there was nothing else going on with us. I mean, we hadn't even gone on the Internet. We hadn't done nothing. It was like... But I think they thought that we really were, but now we are. <laughs> right. Right. Well, uh, I, I was wondering if you had any insight. Do you Do you have any idea why Brandon would have receive these things different than Craig? Is it because he wasn't given his opportunities instead he was always being punished or what what do you mean like well, br- well Brandon Brandon said, you know, screw this, I'm not disconnecting and he left Scientology. Uh Craig went the well, they did opposite I, they made opposite choices in the in the in the path. Yeah, and, and I really think it's different personalities completely. Um you know, just by the fact that Brandon went to that our niece's wedding, his cousin's wedding, when he was still on staff at San Diego, you know, you you think like he's he's not someone who he's not necessarily someone who follows the rules a hundred percent all the time. Whereas Craig was. Right. He was a he was a really good boy, you know what I mean? Like as a kid, he was the one who gave us the least amount of trouble, having three sons. Do, do you think Scientology uh, in the ranks? Do you think they make a better effort with someone you think they can do more with, and someone else who's going to be more resistant, more rebellious? You know, you're going to get more more knowledge reports. You're going to get more sex checks. You're going to get more oh, definitely. scrutiny. Definitely. You know, Brandon's his own person. He makes his own decisions, whereas Craig was definitely someone who needed to have reassurance. He was looking for answers. He was looking for answers. Yeah, and he was, there were times, you know, am I doing this right? Do you think I'm doing this right? You know, asking his brothers or us, like, is this good enough? Am Am I doing good enough? You know, he needed a lot of reassurance, whereas Brandon was a lot more his own person, make his own decisions. I, I, I want to talk to you real quick about, uh, so I can come back to Craig's video. If I may give my own unqualified, completely untrained opinion on that video, I'd like to point out, if you hadn't already noticed, there there wasn't much in that video where he attacked you or Gary. He He actually stayed away from it, it seemed. Yeah, um, like Tony Ortega said on his, like he he said on his blog the day after those came out, he said it was the most benign video of all the videos that he'd seen from you know all the different Scientologists talking about their family members was yeah. the most benign. Yeah, he's looking for something and to say, and he can't he he can't bring himself to say anything about you. Right, because he he can't really. I mean, we were a very close family, you know. I had these. I've had these kids in my life like every day, every month since they were born. You know. Yeah, I have to say, I, I believe in his case. There's hope just just from that observation. I think there's hope. Uh, I yeah. think it, I don't think it helps that he's got ants in there, who are kind of persuading him. It seems and. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean the good thing is is that they're you know on the other side of the world, and the only real way to communicate is through WhatsApp and Facebook messaging and that sort of thing with them because 
making, well, I suppose you can also make free calls through those apps now. Sure. But, um, yeah, I don't think, yeah, I think there's been a certain amount of influence for sure by from them. And, and, and I could see Craig communicating to Levain and my other sister, Dion, definitely looking from a, from a motherly point of view, you know? Right, right. Just, just almost like a surrogate type of a situation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it doesn't. And and but but there is there has been a more recent thing from him on that stand website that the church put out, which was I don't know against discrimination or something. It's BS. Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, S T A A D. I think is the actual. He put a thing out that was a bit more heavier. Oh, well, did he? That. I did not see that. Okay. Yeah, that's more recent. Because you did and, something and more in recent. In fact, in yeah, in that thing, you know, I, he's trying to make it out like, you know, we were after him, and his brothers would bang on his doors. Well. That's not all so true either. Right, right. And why wasn't that in the last video? That seems more incriminating to me. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, maybe they're responding to to Tony Ortega's suggestion that that was benign and they're trying to come up with something more. You know, uh, 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 Chris Shelton says he thinks they're doing it at gunpoint anyway. Like, they don't necessarily want to say the things they're saying a lot of the time. Uh, oh, or do you feel like I they have definitely, to? And and I think especially with Craig, that must have been... Like my my son, Brett, when he listened to it, he said that he felt as though there was a lot of editing done, that it looked... You know, obviously we know Craig better than anybody, and he felt that there were times where Craig was almost crying. Mm. And he felt as though they had edited out like a little part of it because maybe there was a tear or two. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, I want to give you a chance at the end of all this to to give your own personalized message to Craig, and hopefully he'll he'll hear it somehow. Um, but what I, what I do, especially on these heavier ones, uh, we do a podcast with all my guests. I do something fun, kind of, and there's some serious stuff in it, but it's just uh, different questions, 10 questions, I call it Think Fast, although it never goes fast. And uh, just okay. your your first answer comes to mind, and at the end we'll uh, we'll give a message to Craig for you. Um, okay. Are you are you up for that? Sure. All right. Ten questions with Lois Reesdraw. Uh Number one, um, what are the best qualities of South Africa? What are we missing here oh, in America? The, pe- the people and the beautiful landscape. All right. I believe it. Uh, number two, ice cream, pizza, or something else? Ice cream. Haha, <laughs> yes. Alright, number three. <laughs> uh, this is kind of a, like, uh, what people might think and what the truth is, I guess. Uh, Leah Rebony, you think she's probably more what than what? Blank than blank. She's more genuine than fake. I believe that, too. I believe that, too. Number four. True or false, you would totally be involved in a family reunion today, regardless of where anybody's affiliation is. 
as long as it's about your family being together and nothing else. True. I believe you. Number five. <laughs> Name three lies that have been told about your family. Three lies that that we're racist and bigots. That we're um, that we're that we hate Scientologists. Because seriously, if someone wants to be a Scientologist, I'm fine with it. As long as these horrible, disgusting policies are not part of it. Yeah, they don't represent every single person wearing the clothes in uniform. Absolutely. Exactly. And um, and that we're not family-oriented because we totally are. I believe I believe you. Uh, you know, uh, it's so funny that you guys are, are are racist bigots yet you're multi-racial. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Uh, number six. Um. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about, especially since I had an independent Scientologist on the show recently. Uh, would you support reformation of uh, Scientology? Would you prefer just, you know, try something different? Yeah, you know, if someone wants to go ahead and do that, I'm totally for it. Whether or not I would be involved, no. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I like the answer. I think, yeah, Okay. No, you can expand if you wanted to. Pardon? If you wanted to say oh, more about it, you yeah. can. Yeah, so so the main thing is is that um, I'll just tell you a funny little story, which I actually don't think I even mentioned in my blog. But there was one day that I was talking with Alron Hubbard. I was with him, and he was just feeling so down, I guess, about everything, like all the legal stuff that was going on and management seemed to never do a good job about running Scientology and um, he was you know and he never really was down like a depressed type of person but this day he was and he said to me he said you know I wrote the book Dianetics and I just wanted the book to be out there and for it to have a life of its own and it was almost like he was saying he was getting involved with making this whole church was just um, not really what he wanted to do. It got out of hand, huh? Snowballed. Right. Hmm. And that he just wished that, you know, he felt that if he had put all the tech out there that people would just run with it and do what they wanted to do with it. And it's kind of really stuck with me and and when I was going through all of this I thought god like now it's even crazier than it was before maybe that is the way it should be that that you know that the technology is just out there and people can do with it what they want I don't have a problem with that but unfortunately, he's the one who wrote the policies that keeps it the way it is. It's true. You know? It's so true. Now, I'll say this. You, you mentioned, we didn't even get into this, and I meant to earlier, but 
you say he audited himself regularly, like he was into it, like like he believed his own words. Um, do you think Definitely. he do you think he suffered from mental illness or maybe like dementia or something? Well, now that you know, I've gone through life and I've learned a lot and I've experienced things and I've experienced people with mental illness, I definitely think that he had a type of bipolar type of thing because he had that manic mm. thing about him and bright, you know, bright ideas that were just kind of like out there. Right. Um, that he thought, you know, the grandiosity, grandiosity, um, I feel definitely. Um, in terms of dementia, the funny thing is, is that his father had dementia. Mm. And, and I definitely feel that right towards the end, like the last maybe couple of times that I met with him, there was possibly... But I do feel that what happened to him afterwards, after I saw him, is that he was like a caged animal. Mm. And I believe that that was David Miscavige's doing. Between him and Pat Broker, they got him so scared that I, I think he went off the deep end. Right. I mean, he had reason to be scared. He was running for the police. Um, no, but, uh, I no, I believe that. But I think, you know, there was a certain way that people, you know, like Mary Sue, his wife, would deal with him about with things that would be more of a calming way to relay bad news. Um, that maybe us messengers and Mary Sue would do that would keep things under control with him. And once we were gone, that wasn't there anymore. And they, they fed that. They fed that anxiety. Yeah. And, and I really do think from what I've seen that he's written after I left, and which included his closest messengers and Mary Sue, that it was definitely things went wrong. Okay. Worse, you know. All right. Wow, that's some good insight right there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I personally just 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 uh, just my my two cents. Not it's worth anything, but uh, I, I think if you know if you wanted to reform if you wanted reformation of the Westboro Baptist Church, but without all the 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 uh, anti-homosexual rallies that. At, at deceased yeah. soldiers' funerals, I wouldn't be for that because why bother? You go to another church, you know, and that's kind of how I feel about. I think Scientology shouldn't be any different than that, but that's my feeling. But I understand where you're coming from because that, that is, I've never heard that perspective before. That's great. All right, so uh, number seven, <laughs> um, hiking, swimming, or binge watching Netflix. What do you prefer? Swimming because I was a swimmer. Oh, very good, very good. All right. Uh, this is a silly question, but a serious question at the same time. I know the answer already. Uh, number eight, true or false? Scientology is a cult. True. True. Okay. Number nine. Um, let's get a little deeper here. Number nine. Um, 
I've heard Ron Miscavige, David Miscavige's father, um, use yeah. the three words to describe his son. He says, I forgive you, uh, as a message to his son. Um, your sisters, your other family members, the people still in Scientology today, do you forgive them? Definitely. I believe you. Without Absolutely. a doubt. Yep. And for number 10, this is where I'm going to go and, ahead. Yeah, and, and the thing that I just want to say on that is that my door is open to any of them. Always. All right, and uh, number 10, um, you can kind of add here. Uh, number 10 is where I'm going to go ahead and let you give with I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> I'm not going to interrupt you this time. Um, say anything you want um, to your family members and to Craig. Well, I have those. Okay, so I'll just, first of all, I'll just say to my family members, because I'm going to do Craig separately. Um, I absolutely love all of you guys. I love your kids. And any time that you ever want to talk to me or come and visit me or live with me or whatever you need, you just need to let me know. And you know how to find me. And I love you guys. Okay, so here is for Craig. Hi, Craig. I am 99% sure you will never listen to this, but for the... 1% chance, here is my message to you. All of us love you and miss you like you cannot believe. Every day, my heart is sore. We had such a great family before, and we still do, but we are missing you. It helps to have two grandchildren now, but I know the day I hear you have children will be a bad day for me. Craig, you have spoken out publicly against us, and even though it hurts to hear what you have said, we know you are being pressured to say these things. Remember back in 2015 the amount of times Dad and I were pleading with you to get back and come, even before we were declared. We wanted to meet up with you and discuss things, but you shut us down every time. We tried so very hard. Brett also tried, and at least you would talk to him back in 2015. It gave us hope. But then the next time he tried to talk to you, it was a no-go. You were the one who kicked us out of your life, not the other way around. But we love you so dearly and wish you were with us. You know that our doors are always open no matter what. You are a great person and very smart. So start trying to look instead of listen. Happy birthday for the 26th of April. You will be 27. And the last time I saw you, you were 24. Wow. Sometimes it's so unreal to me. Love you from here to infinity. Wow. Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, one thing that's always been clear to me uh, through talking to Lori Hodgins, uh, I, I didn't get her on the air yet, but I've talked to Lori and Mary Kahn and and others in your situation is that it's never your it was never your choice to do that. It was never your choice to be disconnected, no. and that's that's the big difference. And that's where you have to start looking up at, overhead and say, who are these people telling me to do this and why? And uh, that's really important. I do hope that one percent gets to. I hope somehow, some way, enough people forward this podcast and get it around. 
so it falls into the hands yeah. of Craig and uh, the rest of your family. I, I hope so too. And and we do have that website up. I don't know if you've seen it, the CraigRiesdorfWithLove.com. I will link that definitely. So, yeah, and so we've put up, you know, really beautiful blogs on there to him. And obviously for his birthday on the 26th, we're going to put up a whole bunch um, for his birthday. And um, so I just hope, I mean, when you Google his name, that's the first website that comes up now. Okay. Wow. Wow. Well, Lori has told me that if her kids came back and stayed in Scientology, she wouldn't, she would just keep her mouth shut just to have her kids back. Is that how you feel? It'll never happen that way. For me, for us, it could never happen that way. Because they're always going to get somewhere in your family and say that you can't be connected. Right, because we just have too many. I mean, if if you look at it from this point of view, I come from six kids, Gary comes from seven, and we were both born into Scientology. Yeah. And we're grandparents. You know, there's just too many connections. I. And, and I can't do that. Yeah, that's what and I'm saying. It'll include, and, and, and it'll include one of my sons and my grandchildren. Yep. You know? I yeah. mean, that's just, like, impossible, it's, 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 which is, like I said in my blog, it's a Sophie's choice. It is. You know? It's like um, I said with Aaron Smith-Levin, his, his kids can't know their grandparents, and that's, those kids did nothing yeah. to their grandparents. Of course, and I mean, I look after my grandchildren twice a week, you know, and it's not just looking after them, it's that that's how involved I am in their lives, you know, mm. I, and Brandon lives with us, and Brett is here all the time, you know, that's how close we are. Well, well Lois, there's a lot of people now working on getting this taken care of and addressed and getting attention brought to it. I just saw another anti-Scientology podcast pop up in the last week, you might have noticed. Um, I don't know who they are, but I'm definitely going to check them out. So there's definitely more and more people every day. I mean, Joe Rogan's having once a month or twice a month anymore, right? I mean, this this yeah. is getting out, and the attention is getting out, and, and I really hope that... Uh, I, I, I feel like that there's going to be resolution for everybody. It's just a matter of when and how big it's going to be when it happens yeah and and i just appreciate so much everybody what they're doing i mean it is just mind-blowing to me how unbelievable people are and leah remini and mike rinder and you and tony otega and everyone who's out there doing this it's just so important because it, it just has to end I agree. It's not okay. I agree. I agree. Was there anything else she and wanted to say before? Yeah, you're about to say something. No. <laughs> anything else you want to say before we go? No. No, I just wanted to thank everybody for their support. And, you know, it it really has been amazing. And it, and the more people that are talking out, the better it is for everyone else. Yes. And for all those people who have, you know, way worse stories than me. And... It just gives everyone the courage to do it, and people need to do it more so that we just flood everything 
with it. So you, you can't know? avoid it. Like, it's harder to avoid than ever. You can't avoid it. Nope. And it's just it's just so amazing to me how how even my friends who didn't even know that I was a Scientologist and they have known me for so long have just been the biggest support to me. And, you know, I just appreciate all that so much. And then people who I have never even met. It's been amazing. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I thank you for your courage and being willing to speak on the podcast because it's, um, yours wasn't easy. <laughs> yours wasn't easy. No. You, um you're, you're, it's amazing that you did what you did here tonight, and uh, and I think everybody's going to appreciate, especially those others who are in your boat as well. Um, yeah, really. and I and, and I just hope everyone understands it, and if you know, they can always contact me, find me on the internet, and contact me if they have any other questions. Because I know even in my blogs, it was just so hard to explain, and I wrote those blogs to the audience of an ex Scientologist, so. Unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, there's so many people that have read them, but a lot of the people had no idea about Scientology, and I used all these Scientology terms. You did. <laughs> you did. So, so I've actually thought, wow, maybe I should just start from the beginning again and just rewrite it from, you know, to an average person. There is one paragraph near the end that's just a bunch of letters to me. <laughs> it's, just a bunch of really? kids. it's all acronyms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the and this and that. I got those words, but no, I, I was able to use, uh, you know, simple, simple, yeah, simple and they, and, skills. And all the people that have read it said they were able to get the gist of things. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, because Mike Rinder's blog before the Aftermath series was really totally ex Scientology. So it was kind of crazy that he was on the whole series people just flooded his website I know blog and so it it really took off and there were just so many now just normal public who were going to it but anyway yeah it but it was a very it was a very good it was a good thing that I did that it was yes really making me it made me look back on my whole life because I had never even read those letters from my mom or that I had written to my mom. When I received them, I, I didn't even look at them. And it just it just actually was healing for me, you know, to write and say what I've been wanting to say for like 34 years. Yeah. Yeah, I hope it, and I hope this wasn't too painful for you. I hope it's more therapeutic. I hope it helps oh, other people as every, well. Every time, yeah, every time I do this, it's so therapeutic. It's just, you know, when I actually have to talk to Craig, I'm sorry that it is very emotional. No, absolutely. What I think is great, I don't mean, I don't mean to make fun of anything. What I think is great is I get a lot of people after they've talked in the Leia or other podcasts, and by the time they get to me. I don't. I, I always worry that it's going to get too deep, and I'm not going to be able. I'm not going to know what to do. And uh, luckily, you guys, <laughs> you guys have conditioned yourself a little, a little bit about to what you need to talk about. So it's been. I've been fortunate to get you guys at your best. Uh, but no, uh-huh, you can't. Thanks. You can't substitute emotion, though. And the emotion was, emotion's definitely there. There was emotion with Mary Khan and uh, 
and then just everybody's been great with their uh, stories. And and I I feel bad. I almost because I one of the first things I ever said. And I think people know by now. I mean, but what I said when I first started doing this is the last thing I want to do is exploit anyone. So that's why I almost start every sentence with, "Look, I don't mean this, but <laughs> you know." Yeah. No, 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 no exploiting. No, Just want I, to get that out there. No, no, I don't feel, and I really appreciate it, and and it, it was great, and I hope that it turns out okay. <laughs> I think it was fine. Are you happy with it? We can go ahead and start yes. over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> start <No>. over. <laughs> oh, Lois, it's been great. I love talking to you. First time I ever spoke to you. Yeah, that was great. All right. I hope it makes. I hope you feel clearer on things. Um, it helps to have somebody who was there with with ORH in the boat <laughs> uh, from the beginning. Yeah. It's a real interesting. A lot of different things came out of it, even after ten questions. That just uh, I didn't expect to get out of it. So yes, thank you. And I think a lot of my listeners who, um, or maybe on my level, or maybe even no less, uh, will feel a little bit better uh, knowing some things and having some answers. Right, and so when do you think this will be out? All right, well, uh, I'm recording this right after John Sweeney Part 1 aired, uh, so you'll be in two weeks. So this will be airing, I'll, okay. give, you, I'll give you an actual air date. Uh, this will be airing on uh, May 5th. Okay, good. So, uh, Perfect. cool deal. Anything else you want to get out? Nope. Thank all right, you. I'm going to link all your links, your blog, your your social media, all that stuff so people know how to get a hold of you if they didn't already know. And uh, you take <laughs> care. Of you Don't be a stranger, okay, Los? Thanks so much, Chris. That was great. Thank you. You're very Appreciate welcome. It. Very, very okay. welcome. Take care. Bye. So that was Lois Resorf. She's a, a real sweetheart, real sweet lady, and um if you if you if you were willing to or had the time to jump over to um to Mike Rinder's blog, something can be done and you go to the left side, uh a little bit halfway down the page there's a search box, you can search Lois Riesdorf and find her eight part story, which uh, actually has that letter from Craig to his mom and dad, uh telling them how how great parents they are and how much he appreciates them, which is a, a total stark contrast to what we see now. Uh, just, to, just to really drive that point home, I hope this podcast gets out to the maximum amount of people uh, for no no other reason than to, um, to to help Craig get that message if possible. Otherwise, guys, this has been um, one heck of a one heck of a packed show. It's more packed than I think I've had in a while. Uh, I thank you for sticking with us. Uh, I, I think uh, more great stuff to come. Make sure you come back for uh, the rest of Melissa Paris's story uh, the next couple of weeks. It's, it's really uh, Really, something needs to be heard. Until then, stay connected. That about sums it up. Have a great week, everybody. All the spot analysis. Am I crazy? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. Are we on a podcast? Yeah. I think I'm going to come get some. If you want some, come. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Gotta get some. My favorite, though. Am I? You're my favorite. Oh, thank you so much. I I not. Put me on the e-meter and ask me a question, and the meter would float.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.